All right, this is the Q-Man. How the hell is everybody? Welcome to the QTR Podcast. Happy to have you with me. Hope you're having a wonderful Labor Day weekend. I know I sure am. I mean, I'm recording this now and I'm having a great time, but I guarantee by the time you're listening to this, I will be outside at a barbecue somewhere having a cold beer. Let's get started for your listening pleasure. Working for you. I am working for you and my sponsors. <laughs> this weekend, hello. All right, first and foremost, I want to shout out my patrons and sponsors, people that support the podcast. First and foremost, this has been a very uncertain year. Markets are still very volatile. I think they're going to continue to stay volatile. Uh, as a result, there's been a lot of investment into alternatives by some of the biggest players in finance. Goldman Sachs and BlackRock say the days of TINA, there is no alternative, are over. RIA reports 88% of surveyed advisors intend to increase allocations to alternative assets over the next two years, with over half raising allocations all the way to 15%. And institutions are already maxed out at 30 to 50% into alternatives. What are they looking into? Goldman specifically names fine art among the ways to help protect your purchasing power. In 2022, the big three auction houses posted record high revenues of a combined $17.7 billion, the best auction year ever. The global art market is still exceeding its pre-pandemic level, according to the 2023 UBS Art Market Report. And how can we take advantage? Tens of thousands of everyday investors use today's sponsor, Masterworks, including myself, by the way. I like Masterworks, where you can invest without needing millions or an art degree. And that's what I love about it. I love the fact that I can invest smaller sums into works of art that I normally would never have access to. Every painting Masterworks has sold to date has delivered a positive return to their investors, including net annualized return of 10, 17, and even 35% all this year. Naturally, past performance is not a guarantee of future returns, as we say often on this show, and any investing involves risk, including loss of principal. However, Masterworks' 15th exit was just a couple days ago for an annualized net return of 77.3%. You now can skip the waiting list to get onto Masterworks and get priority access if you use my code QTR at masterworks.com. That's use, uh, use code QTR at masterworks.com. Make sure you see important regulation A disclosures at masterworks.com slash CD. Again, masterworks.com promo code QTR to skip the line. This podcast also brought to you by my friends over at JM Bullion. JM Bullion is my exclusive gold and silver provider. The only place that I will buy my gold and silver bullion. They have been in business for nearly a decade now. They've done over $7 billion in sales. They ship discreetly. They have great inventory selections. They have reasonable prices. They're not going to gouge you. And I just love JM Bullion. When I go to buy bullion myself, that is the place that I want to buy it from. There are a lot of places out there to buy gold and silver bullion. I was a customer of JM Bullion, I think, before they sponsored the show. I think that's what happened. I don't remember, but it was right around the same time. And uh, happy to have them continue to support the podcast. We talk a lot about gold and silver on this podcast. And so if it is something that you want to dabble in, look up Laura, L-A-U-R-A, at jmbullion.com. She is there exclusively for QTR podcast listeners. She will help you if you don't feel like navigating the website. If you have questions, if you've never bought gold or silver or bullion before, hit Laura up. Give her a shout. Tell her the Q-Man say you. Tell her that... Tell her whatever the hell you want. Just tell her to have a great day. Just shout out Laura at jmbullion.com. 
or click on jmbullion.com. Link is in the podcast description. My favorite place to buy gold and silver bullion, and that's no bullshit. I also want to shout out my supporter, George Gammon, my longtime supporter over at Rebel Capitalist Pro. George, I love you, brother. Rebel Capitalist Pro, a great platform that will help you preserve your wealth in a world of -of out-of-control central banks. Nobody knows macro and how the central banking Ponzi scheme works better than George Gammon along with Brent Johnson, Lynn Alden, Chris McIntosh, tons of smart people over there. I love reading Rebel Capitalist Pro's forums. I love George Gammon and Brent Johnson and Lynn Alden's live question and answer sessions. You get access to all of their premium content. It's all under one umbrella. So if you uh, go in and you check out Rebel Capitalist Pro, you can get access to Lynn Alden. You get access to the forums, to the mock portfolios. If you're a macro bug, man, there is no better bang for your buck, if you uh, ask my opinion. And George Gammon will be on the damn podcast soon. I know I've been saying that for a while. But uh, I just got to link up with him, get a time and a date, because I have a million questions I want to ask him. Finally, this podcast brought to you by my longtime friend and longtime supporter, Mr. Sanglucci, and his sidecar, Mr. Wall Street Jesus, over at the Steam Room. The Steam Room is, and folks, no bullshit, no script, no nothing. If you're trading options on the daily, if you're an active trader, you have to be involved with the Steam Room. It is a wonderful piece of software that helps you track flow in the options market, which many times can help telegraph where the equity markets are going to go. That is, if you take that out of financial speak, it means sometimes options tell you where stocks are going to go. There is no more beautiful piece of software to do that and no better community run by any better group of active traders and fine individuals than Sang Lucci, Charlie Bathgate, Wall Street Jesus over at the Steam Room. Folks, contact any of these people. You want to buy gold and silver? Reach out to Laura at jmbullion.com. You want to check out Masterworks? Use my code QTR. You want to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro or the Steam Room? Use my name. These people all know me. I am friends with most of these people. It's not a uh, sponsor, sponsory relationship only. I use their products myself. I vet all of my sponsors. And uh, generally, I like to think these people like me and like my listeners. So if you want a free trial or you want some type of, like I said, with Masterworks, you want to skip the line, use my code. And anything else, just reach out to them directly. Tell them I sent you and tell them you want blank, whatever it is. Just mad lib it and uh, they'll make it happen. This podcast has a two-drink minimum, which I haven't mentioned in a while. And finally, this is not financial advice. I'm not a financial advisor. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Please see my full disclaimer on my Substack, Fringe Finance, my blog that I write on almost daily. That link is also in the podcast description. And why don't we get started with the damn show with my buddy Mark Spiegel. All right, my dear friend, Mark Spiegel, who I haven't talked to in a long time, managing partner of Stanfield Capital and general carmudgeon, general market carmudgeon, Mark Spiegel. How are you, brother? I'm good. I'm good. I, I just happened to look. I think the last time we did one of these podcasts was June of 2022, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. Yeah. that I see that on my Skype. So although this one is not Skype, but yeah, so it's been a long time. It's good to... This is my second favorite podcast, by the way. I'm giving you a softball to ask me my favorite. I was just going to ask you. Yeah, what is it? It's this. Have you ever heard this thing called Smartless? No. It's these three Hollywood guys, uh, um, Jason Bateman and two other guys. One guy, Will Something, who's a very funny movie, comic movie actor. And then this other guy is this musical comedy guy from 
Grace and Will and Grace. Anyway, they get A++ list celebrities. I mean, Spielberg, Clooney, you name it. Okay. And it's a, it's a great podcast. In fact, it's probably a pretty big hit. Like, they gave them six six Netflix shows to do it live on, on TV. But anyway, I'm addicted to that while I'm, while I'm exercising. But other than that, this is my favorite podcast. All right. Well, we'll take it. Even though, even even though we get D list guests here, particularly me, but uh, anyway, first off, it's way worse than D list. All right. Number one, (laughs) (laughs) there aren't enough letters in the fucking alphabet for the, for your roster of number, (laughs) number two, I guarantee you for the amount of effort I put into this podcast relative to whatever they're doing, I'm just, I'm number one by a mile. I guarantee you. We, we want to measure it by uh, actual effort and energy uh, expended on the podcast. Anyway, no, I, yeah. I have picked it up. I've been doing doing it a little bit more here over the last uh, couple of weeks, and I hope to keep a better clip. You know, I have people annoy me all the time because they want more content, and a couple of those people are constantly asking for you. So for a year and a half, and I don't wow. know who, I get I get Twitter messages and emails so whoever the hell it is that keeps asking for you, do me a favor and shut the fuck up for the next, like, four months because Mark's here now. Look, first thing we need to do. And I'm, I'm, it, I'm very happy to, to hear that, that my anonymous email account campaign has finally paid <laughs> off. Your Russian Russian troll farms that you've been Was paying it like for? John, John Doe at gmail.com and uh, <laughs> I hate Alon at gmail.com. And yeah, that was me. So it fooled you, though. Uh, all right, look, I'm going to let's get the mayor culpas out of the way. First and foremost, on my blog, Fringe Finance, I have been saying for the last 18 months that the economy and the market are going to take a shit. And I have been wrong. And anytime I've been long volatility over the last last 18 months, I've been eating large quantities of shit. So that is my mayor culpa, although I do still think the market's going to crash. I read your letter. I feel like you feel the same way and we'll talk about it in a second i want to get my mea culpa out of the way which then opens the door for me to tell my listeners that your fund is also having a terrible year is that correct yeah although last year was was like a ridiculously amazing year but yeah this year's been lousy for sure yeah well what'd you do last year and what's your performance this year last year we were up uh (laughs) I think it was like seventy six percent. Holy shit! That but, is really good. But this year, but this year through through tonight, which is Friday night, September first, um, we're down like thirty two percent. So you know, we've basically given up, you know, half of what we made last year. <laughs> so, well, although I'll say, yeah, go ahead. You run yeah. a concentrated book, though, right? Yeah, it's very concentrated book. Yeah, it's 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 a pamphlet. It's so concentrated. It's not even a book. So your book generally gets divided, and probably by the time I publish this, I'll have published your letter. But your book generally can fall into two baskets. One is, you know, macro and your fundamental picks, and the other is just Tesla, right? Uh, that's correct. That's right. Yeah. I mean, our biggest short position by far has has been SPY, um, you know, for – this year, all this year, and so you can see why that hurt us because it's it's a it's the leverage short position. It's the it's the index. I didn't use options or anything, but we just take a big position. And and our second biggest short position has been Tesla, which is also a very big position. And of course, this year Tesla's up 
you know, like 140% or something crazy like that, right? So, um, you know, it's, 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 it does swing, though. I mean, it, <laughs> at one point in the middle of August, we were up like 25% on the month because those two were getting slammed, yeah. you know? And then we, we finished August uh, up a little over 8%. So, but, you know, I'm, I'm unconcerned. I mean, you know, to use the, the, the famous Buffett, you know, voting machine, weighing machine thing. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know how to, how to read a voting machine, but I, I know how to read a weighing machine. So, you know, we get these swings and, but I don't go away. I mean, I do manage the, I'll trade around the position somewhat. I mean, I'll stop some out at some point if it's just breaking out, you know, and then I'll put that extra back on. But it, they're large positions, and I, I know where they're going. Well, I know for sure where Tesla's going. You know, S&P, who knows? I could be wrong, but I've got I've got plenty of upside stops on that in case I am. Well, know? let's let's start with the SPY because <laughs> I was reading part of your letter and – you know, you and I are similarly situated. I feel like sometimes I'm banging my head against the wall over the last year as I've been writing on my blog constantly that eh, it's right around the corner. We just have to navigate all of this extra liquidity that's in the system as a result of COVID. But really, if you look at credit card debt, if you look at obviously rates over 5% with all of this debt outstanding, it's something feels like it's going to have to give at some point. And just because it hasn't yet... I'm not at a point where I'm ready to turn around and say, oh, yeah, well, we're definitely going to have a soft landing. I mean, I think it's a mathematical impossibility. And based on reading your letter, you kind of feel the same, right? You keeping this spy short on and, and you feel like, you know, something nasty is coming, I think, were your words. Yeah, I mean, look, let me just let me read out loud, actually, one paragraph from my letter that sums up exactly how I feel. And that paragraph is as follows. There's no way in everything bubble built on over a decade of 0% interest rates and trillions of dollars of worldwide quantitative easing cannot implode right. when confronted with 5% plus rates and $95 billion a month in U.S. quantitative tightening plus increasingly tight money from the ECB, BOJ, and other central banks. So, yes, it's been delayed, and, and I go through that in my letter, which I guess you'll publish, but... It's been delayed just just because the COVID cash lasted longer than we thought. The labor market's been stronger than we thought through labor hoarding because it was so hard for companies to hire people during COVID. Nobody wanted to work or couldn't work or whatever, that they're very reluctant to let people go. The, the journal had a front page story about this um, about a month ago. So but, you know, and, and then, of course, you know, there's a. There's a lag when you jack up rates from zero, you know, someone who just bought a car when it was zero. Well, they don't have to refinance or buy a new car for three right. or four years or a house or whatever. But, you know, gradually that 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 those that number of people increases and, and tips the economy into recession. And I think it's going to be a really, really bad recession. And who knows? I mean, look, I don't want to sound like one of those economic collapse blog guys, but I mean, it could, it could be a depression. I mean, <laughs> you know, the, 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 <laughs> no, I mean the, the aftermath of, uh, you know, there's a pendulum, right? When you blow a bubble that big, you can get a hell of a wipeout. As it turned out, you know, from 2000, we got a stock wipeout. We didn't really get a, 
an economic wipeout because the Fed came in and blew a housing bubble. Right. right. So, you know, that's that's my only hesitation. I mean, the question is how reckless the Fed will be giving up the, the inflation fight in order to, you know, pump up the economy. But of course, now we have more debt and deficits than we ever had in that era. And that gives them a lot less flexibility because they'll lose the long end of the curve unless, of course, you know, they try the Japan thing. Right. And, the, you know, to try, try to, um, you know, limit the, the yield on the 10 year, you know, but I, I don't I don't see that happening. So I, I see bad things happening just delayed. And I see a stock market that that just hasn't been able to look beyond the tip of its nose. I mean, the market used to look ahead and and now who knows it's computers and, you know, people under 30 and people who think the Fed just has their back no matter what. Right. Yeah, I got a few questions, not the least of which is what do you think is going to happen in Japan? But uh, I think you're right, man. And and not to sound like one of the economic blog collapse guys either. And I, you know, I write in my pieces. I wrote the last one. The last piece I wrote, I think, was called Can You Feel It? But I preface the piece by saying, look, I was bullish in March of 2020 when the market took a shit. The day Ackman said hell is coming. I need people to know that I'm capable of being bullish if the valuations are there, if the support is there, if the setup is there. You know, I was buying financials. I thought that things were cheap and I knew the Fed was going to come in. And so and we had this incredible astronomical run after that. So I'm not always bullish, but I mean, I'm not always bearish. But what I will say is it really does feel like the setup is there for a depression, not just because the math is in our favor, right? Everything that you just said, but also because nobody's expecting it, right? Like everyone is almost succumbing to the narrative that the soft landing, it's it's taking place as we speak, Mark. It's happening right now. And so it will be in, you know, buttholes will pucker up a little bit extra uh, when people realize that that is not going to be the case. You think the psychology plays a part in it like that? Well, yeah, I mean, I, ironically or coincidentally, I, I think I literally tweeted that uh, yesterday morning, maybe, or, or the morning before that, that, you know, everyone's talking about either no landing, you know, or, or, a, or a mild recession, and nobody is using the D word. Now, right. of course, you know, the D word is not something to be thrown around lightly, because they don't happen very often. But it's certainly plausible that we could have a really, really nasty recession, and nobody's saying that. I don't see anybody saying this is going to be any more than a mild recession, right? No and Yeah, and I think it's going to be nasty. Of course, it gets complicated, right, because assets are priced uh, nominally. So are we going to have a, a, a Weimar-style nasty recession? I mean, they had a depression, right? Or are we going to have a U.S. 1930s style depression i mean you don't want to be short asset prices if you have a weimer style uh right. you know depression you know an inflationary one unless of course you figure out some way to hedge that out but i i think it gets very difficult well, so can you just you know, explain I, that can you explain that because that was going to be my next question whether or not you think it's going to be inflationary or deflationary can you explain those two scenarios and how they could potentially take place well i mean look i mean if uh you know, I mean, if, if a loaf of bread costs a thousand dollars, then then, you know, a share of 
Google could be, you know, a trillion dollars. I don't know. I mean, I'm making up a number, but right. you, you know, and, and when you're short something, you're short it nominally, right? You're not short it in inflation adjusted terms, unless you figure out some way to hedge out the short position. So right. I guess what I'm saying is I don't want to overstay my short, my short welcome. That's <laughs> not that it's been a, a much of a welcome, but <laughs> I don't want to overstay my short positions to the point where there's some possibility that the fed loses its will to fight inflation right. and, and, you know, starts printing money again or loosening up money again. Of course, you know, if the government, I mean, if, if investors see that happening in a highly inflationary environment, the first thing you're going to get, and this happened during the 1970s, by the way, is is severe PE multiple compression on stocks, and and they will go down. That's what you got, like in the roughly the first half of the 1970s. But then once PEs reach rock bottom, and I'm not saying they're going to do that here, but in 1970s they got down to like eight or something like that, right? They were single digits. Then inflation was so nasty that it was eight times an increasingly higher uh, earnings number because it was a nominal number, right? And so stock prices went up, not in real terms, but nominal terms a lot in the back half of the 70s. Again, I haven't looked at this in years, but I think it was they went up something like 50% or something once they hit after they hit bottom in nominal terms. So you don't want to be short something that goes up 50% on you um, you know, even though you're right about it in real terms, again, unless you figure out some way to hedge that out, which is which I guess there are ways to do. So to, to answer your question, I, I think it'll probably I think it would be a deflationary recession, but then could turn into an inflationary recession, which, again, is why I, I don't want to stay short for too long here. You know, and I, look, I am I'm also I, there are things I'm buying. I mean, I tweeted about it this morning. I mean. You know, we had a pretty good-sized position in, in Volkswagen, the U, one of the US ADRs, and I doubled it this morning. You know, UBS downgraded it. They said, oh, there's a lot of competition in China, which is true for these guys and whatever. But it, it, it was selling at three and a half times earnings, roughly, this year's earnings, before the downgrade. And and it's, it's more than free because – you know, Volkswagen owns seventy-five percent of Porsche, which is they they listed Porsche. The ticker is in Germany. It's like P nine eleven something. They they use the car model for the ticker, and they issued uh, like a, a nine hundred eleven million shares. Actually, I think is That's what they cool. did. And, yeah. So, so, but anyway, so um, if you back out Volkswagen's seventy-five percent ownership in Porsche. You're getting paid billions of dollars to take on to take the rest of the company. So, you know, I I doubled our position in that this morning when it got hit on that. So it's not as if there's nothing I want to own, but I want to own things, you know, just with massive downside protection because it's possible that that you know even if it doesn't go down a lot, that just goes nowhere for years. You know, I, I mean, we could I think we could be in a really long grinding do nothing kind of stock market, which is another thing that nobody here is 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 talking about. Right. I mean, some people talk about a crash. And look, I don't know that we're going to have a crash. I mean, my target on the S&P is is like thirty five hundred. And, and now it's what, about forty five hundred. So I don't think that's I don't think that's a crash. Right. You know, it's like, no, it, that it, would not be a it, crash. It, that's not a crash. It, yeah, I mean it's less than twenty five percent, right? But so that that's that's what I think we're going to get. But then I think once we get that, we could get, 
just a long grinding do nothing market for a while and then eventually if inflation comes back then we can have a market that goes up in nominal terms like in the 1970s i mean i kind of look for a a 1970s scenario you know well and you're talking about a long grinding do nothing market makes me think of japan of course and i'd be interested in what your thoughts are uh, not just in japan but with the bond market in the U.S. too. What do you think is going to happen? Well, I mean, Japan is is a great example of why, um, yeah, of why it's so hard to do "quote unquote" the big short, right? I mean, I think we all know that at some point the yen is confetti, right? Right? I mean, there's just <laughs> there's too much debt there. There's no way out of it. They have to keep printing and and and. You know, YCCing, yield curve controlling, even if they loosen it a little bit. I, I, I mean, it's just so and eventually that's going to implode. But, you know, look, I mean, they've been doing it for, what, 30 years or something like that. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, maybe it's maybe they can get away with it for for maybe they can get away with it for 30 years and two days and, and Monday morning it implodes. Or maybe they can get away with it for 60 or 70 or 80 years. Right. I think. I think someone once told me that ancient Rome, when they started, um, you know, they, they used to have whatever silver coins. And then instead of silver, they put something else in the coins, yeah. you know, whatever. Right. I think it took 100 years before it imploded. Now, things move faster now than, than then. But, you know, who knows how long it can last? That's that's my point. So I do think that the yen will eventually be confetti. But I'm not telling anybody to short the yen because, I mean, I was short the yen like, 10 years ago and you know we made some money on it but you know and then and then the yen actually went a lot higher after that it, it didn't implode you know so we were probably just lucky being short the yen 10 or 12 years ago so uh, you, you know um you can't be long the yen so anybody who's like you know i saw the all these people like oh buying japan stocks a few months ago and the market's coming back and blah 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 but you better hedge your your home currency risk in this case the dollar if you're going to be long Japan, because you are long a a currency that tomorrow or in forty years is going to be confetti. And that's you know, that's just... always the fucking question too is the timing. Like right now, that's what we started talking about. You know, the timing. Five percent rates. We're sitting there. We're redlining everything. We got all this debt outstanding, but nothing's happening, right? So when's it going to be? It's always the timing. well. There's the, but, the... so I, I was just going to say there's yes, but there's a huge difference. In, in timing a stock market with when rates go from zero to five and, you know, trillions of dollars in debt has to be rolled over in the ensuing few years. And, you know, I mean, there's there's like you can identify. I guess what I'm saying is you can identify a t earnings or, you know, should be tanking. If you look at PMIs, you can identify a ton of short term catalysts for the for why the U.S. stock market, you know, should and I think will tank. Right. I can't identify a short term catalyst for the yen. You know, it's it's just like, when are people going to lose faith in the yen? I thought it would have happened a long time ago. Right. And it didn't look. It's the same thing when 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 um, when that schmuck Bernanke started QE and a lot of people, I, I might even been one of them said, oh, people are going to instantly lose faith in the dollar because we're printing money. Right. Well, obviously, it didn't happen. Right. So. You know, it's just there's you just can't identify a catalyst for a currency, right? Especially like Japan. I mean, smart, well-educated people, right? Like amazing 
technology and stuff, you know, I mean, but you can identify a lot of catalysts for the U.S. stock market is the short answer. Yeah, the the, the question is, again, the timing, not not just when the market's going to crash, but it's, you know, the economy will go first and then it's figuring out the game theory of how long is good news going to be bad news and is bad news going to be good news. You know, the market rallied today after the jobs number came in worse than expected because everybody thinks that that means the Fed's going to stop hiking rates. So we're in such a backwards clusterfuck. Were you going to say well, something? Go ahead. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, first of all, the, the market should lead the economy. I mean, I know it might not be like the way it used to lead it by six months or whatever, but, it, you know, the market should sniff it out, you know, ahead of it. And maybe it is now. I mean, today was actually a pretty good reversal day and you know when this rally peaked uh i guess it was in maybe july i could pull up the chart that it peaked then on a really big sort of red candle reversal day it was on um july 27th if you look on a chart later so you know today was wasn't as big as that but today was an engulfing reversal where it opened higher than yesterday and at least intraday went lower than yesterday it, you know it closed a little above yesterday's low but my point is that um you know the, the market may have peaked in july and this may have been the end of the second peak possibly even today you know but so i don't think you have to wait that long for stocks i, I think in this case i think it's very very different from you know a yen call or a jgb call you know when are jgbs going to implode you know well that'll tie into the yen right like yep. They just won't be able to buy them anymore. You know, it'll take too many yen. You know, what do you think? What do you think is going to happen with the U.S. bond market? I, I mean, I, I, to me, that's the, that's the too hard category. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, uh, uh, everybody sees how much debt the U.S. has, and, and I think, I mean, if you look now, it's kind of like the long end is sort of sniffing out, like permanent long-term inflation that the fed never really gets under control right right so you know but i i don't have a short-term call on the bond market i mean if the economy I mean, when the economy starts tanking which i think it will pretty imminently i mean you know bonds probably yields will probably initially come down so bond prices will initially go up but i think what may shock people is if long-term yields go up while the economy is still tanking and not necessarily go up because the economy is suddenly getting better, but just because stagflation, I mean, they see like, like nasty inflation because the fed gives up on, on really fighting it, you know? Yeah. Well, why would, why would bonds sell off then? Well, they would sell off because on the long end, they'll sell off because, because investors think that the fed is going to is not going to be serious about continuing to fight inflation if the economy oh, okay slows. so they're gonna yeah. they're gonna sell off in anticipation of rates staying high in other words well of the fed maybe cutting short-term rates but the fed cuts short-term rates it's not controlling long-term rates right the fed if the, if, if the economy tanks and the fed cuts short-term rates um that that could be perceived as inflationary if they do it while there's still some you know, above, you know, 3% inflation out there. Right. And in that case, people will lose faith in the Fed. So, you know, you could have you could have a, a really wide spread then between like the 10 year yield and the and and the 30 day, you know? Yeah, that could that would be an interesting scenario, wouldn't it? To have them to have both markets selling off at the same time. 
Right. Well, I mean, we had we've had that to some extent, right? Um, last year, right. but you know, I and and in, oh, in fact, I just saw a stat today that, that that we're on track to have the first time in history that the U.S. Treasury market was down three years in a row. So if that continues for the rest of this year, so we certainly had it last year because stocks got crushed last year. So yeah, it could happen, you do know. You, and then of course, do you that, do you own Treasuries? Would you buy Treasuries here? No, I, I have no opinion on treasuries. I, I wouldn't buy treasuries because, you know, I mean, look, we're 30 years behind Japan in the confetti department. Right, so do I exactly. want to own? And, and and here's the thing. It's like we may not be 30 years behind, right? It's possible. I mean, maybe when the yen implodes or JGBs or whatever, whenever that is, you know, if it's next week or in 25 years, I just don't know. But when it happens, people may not say, oh, well, you know, they were 30 years ahead of the U.S., so now that the U.S. has a good 30 years before it implodes, so, you know, we can we can own it. We can own the, the currency. or the. I mean, maybe all faith gets lost at once. Who the hell knows? Again, I don't want to sound like one of those guys. I mean, I don't even own any gold now. I haven't owned it for a while because I sort of think – that that gold will initially tank with stocks. Yeah, I, but, but I agree the, with you 100% because there'll just be a major deleveraging, and I think that's when you just want to go all in at that point. On Exactly right. I, I don't know if it's exactly right, but I, <laughs> I agree with you 100%, which is, yeah, when gold tanks and everything tanks, I think gold will, you know, will probably come back strongly to new record highs, you know, long before stocks do because, you know, again, they... Fed will start printing, right? right? So, but right now, yeah, I don't, I don't know. That, that's what happened in, uh, I don't know, when, uh, I guess going into the COVID crash is what I'm thinking. Everybody just sold everything that wasn't fucking bolted down. Exactly. And, and gold got absolutely thrashed. It got, it got Ex killed like 20%. And, uh, you know, three months later, it was at all time highs. I think the same thing will happen. People will be looking to liquidate and sell everything they possibly can. Everything will get thrashed. Gold, Bitcoin, equities, risk assets, value assets, everything will get killed. And that's when you want to go in and buy gold because the very, very next step is the printer gets turned on. And it won't fucking take long either. It'll probably be the same week, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I agree 100%. That's, that's exactly my plan until Mike Tyson punches me in the face. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yes. <laughs> but I agree. I agree. Exactly. So what are some of the... um macro indicators that you're looking for and I'm, I'm not saying that you're trying to time the economy finally grinding to a halt or the market slowing down but you do seem to think that we're pretty damn close and so i just wanted to ask you about the data that you put in your letter like what are the signs i know consumer debt was one that you put in there i think you put in auto prices too what are the things that show you that we're heading towards a fever pitch right now, really close to the straw breaking the camel's back. I would say, well, and, and to be clear, I, I haven't been trying to time this. I've been short a lot of SPY all year, hence our wonderful performance. Um, although, I, you know, I've been adding to it and, and subtracting from it to a, a core position, sort of based on technicals. You know, I've been looking for enough of a reversal to, to upsize the position, as I did this morning. And then if that proves wrong and it breaks out to the upside, I'll take some off and try again higher. I mean, that's sort of my M.O. is have a core position very fundamentally based and, and then add or subtract to the position, you know, based on technicals so that I can try to have that position 
really huge when it actually starts working. You know, right. that's that's how I do this stuff. And um, and, you know, not and not go out of business, you know, if it's not working, you know. So. Um, so look, so so the PMIs have been horrible, not just in the U.S., but like the whole Western world. Right. It's been contraction month yeah. after month after month. Um, and then. So, I mean, so the near term catalyst. So the, the Fed put out, I think it was the San Francisco Fed put out a new report. Um, I think earlier this month that that the covid cash should run out actually by Q4, which means a month from now. Right. Okay. And of course, also then the student loan repayments start a month from now, although there is that one year grace period, which some people will take advantage of, maybe a lot of people. Um, and then time is not on the side of asset prices because every month the Fed is QTing, right? Another 95 billion combined. And every month there's X number of people who uh, need a loan at, you know, seven, eight percent when when the last loan they had was a two percent, right? Whether it, a car, a car, a house, or whatever, right? I mean, housing market, housing prices are, are going to collapse. I mean, that's that's why I'm not necessarily a short-term, you know, inflationista because that's a big part of housing. I mean, what I, I mean, don't forget, or maybe you don't know, I was I was in the commercial real estate business for 17 years before I went to Wall Street, and just as an observer. Since then, I mean, what happens in the housing market is exactly what's happening now when demand dries up, in this case, because of mortgage rates and sellers are like, well, I don't have to sell. I know what my house is worth. Fuck it. I'll just take it off the market and I'll wait this market out. And that's why, you know, you've been reading about it on the on the existing houses, not so much the newly built stuff. There's almost no supply because there's this gigantic gap between what sellers think their houses are worth and and what buyers are willing to pay or can afford to pay based on mortgage rates now. Well, believe me, that gap doesn't fill by the buyers coming up. (laughs) It fills by sellers gradually throwing in the towel (laughs) and saying, you know, fuck it, I got to sell. You know, I got to move. I got to retire. I need a smaller place, whatever. I'll, you know, I I can't wait anymore. And, And so... That's what's going to happen. So I do think that that housing prices are going to go south, like big time. I you know? agree with you. Yeah. So and and that's of course, that t- stocks are very tied into housing prices, right? Because people feel rich or they don't feel rich, right? And they and 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 you know they'll speculate in stocks, but if their house value collapses, they sell their stocks. Right. The other thing, by the way, is, you know, one thing I I would hear all the time from from people including very smart people is uh you know how can you bother shorting a stock anymore or whatever there's or there's there's so much automatically invested 401k money you know every month that most of the market now is driven by you know indexers or you know whatever right but you think about it once people start losing their jobs there's no there, there's a lot less 401k money 401k money there to buy stocks right. you know if you don't have a job that monthly S&P 500 index fund not only does it not get bought but you might sell it to pay your living expenses once your unemployment compensation runs out and right? i was thinking so, i was thinking too earlier when you were talking about the market just stagnating like japan like what about all those pension funds that need 
to make 7% per annum, that need to make 8% per annum, that borrowed over the last five years because they thought they were going to put on some type of carry trade, you know, when, when those things stop earning or start declining, then all of a sudden, you know, the, the machine seizes up even further, right? The machine you're talking about, the, the retirement machine. Yeah. How many of those pension funds, you know, think they're making 7 or 8% because they're in private equity funds that, oh, you know, is uh, – Right. As uh, what's his name, Cliff Asnes tweets about all the time. They mark they mark their book once every five years, right? <laughs> so you know, guess what? When you need liquidity, and you find out, oh, um, this is overvalued by fifty percent actually in the market. So yeah, I mean, I, I mean, again, it all comes back really to to what I said right at the beginning of this podcast, or or near at, near the beginning of the podcast, which is right at the beginning of of my letter this month, which is, you know, we had call it 12 years of, of free money, not only free money, but in some cases in real terms, you were getting paid to take money, but just 12 years of free money, all kinds of stuff gets, gets done. All kinds of business gets, gets predicated on all kinds of investments get made predicated on free money for 12 years. Right. You know, if you have free money for three months and then you raise rates, big deal, not that much happened. 12 years people get conditioned to it they do all oh, kinds yeah. of crap right yep. so so you can't go from from zero to five or, or maybe maybe minus two to to you know to 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 plus two or three in real terms you know whatever it is yeah you know plus two in real terms from minus two real to plus two real you can't do that and not implode things because exactly. the money was free it, it was free for too long you know, too much got done on the assumption that, oh, money's free and it will always be free. Exactly. Yeah, you're exactly right. And and I have written about this over and over and over. By the way, if you want to read Mark's letter that he's referencing, the link to my blog is in the podcast description, Fringe Finance. It'll be published. Uh, <laughs> it should be published by the time this podcast comes out. But I continue to write that exactly what you're talking about, which is that the psychological setup here I think is unprecedented, right? We know that from a monetary policy standpoint, this is completely unprecedented. From a fiscal policy standpoint, we couldn't be fucking up any further than we already are. But the psychology is, I think, what is going to surprise people. This 15 years of, of conditioning, of behavioral conditioning that, you know... It, we have rewritten the definitions on what risk assets are, on what value is. You know, so you get these assholes like Kathy Wood out there saying on live, <laughs> saying on live television that you know, this is no, but this is really what you get, Mark. You get her on CNBC saying we've hit some type of new paradigm. You know, where forty times earnings is now a value, and it's just like, uh, you know, unless people are living earnings. What does she own that has earnings? No, nothing, but you you get the point, right? We're like, you know, th- there's a new norm. For her, it's right? like 40 times revenue. Yeah, right. go ahead. <laughs> there's a new norm. There's a new, you know, there's a new paradigm that only she can see. And the rest of us are fucking morons because we're sticking to our, you know, mean reversion and calling out the, uh, the, the rising central bank tide that keeps lifting all these boats. But the fact is all that bullshit goes out the window when you're in a situation where we're at now and i always make the analogy it's like it's like the last 15 years mark we were we were swimming downstream so if we hit a bump it didn't matter because the river kind of just kept carrying us 
downstream, right? You bump into a log, you hit the you hit the shore, but whatever, you keep wind up moving in the same direction because the river is moving with some speed and the river is of course quantitative easing and the central banks. Right now we're doing the opposite. We we are we are we are overexerting ourselves trying to swim upstream in a quantitative tightening environment, right? We are well and we are to, almost to, out of fucking energy, you know, <laughs> yeah, splashing I mean, to, our to arms put, and just trying to stay put. Would you let me finish my analogy, please? This is uh the closest thing I'm gonna come to <laughs> this is gonna be part part of my new poetry book I'll be releasing next week. <laughs> no, but but the point the point is, you know, our arms are starting to get tired, right? And then when when you get to the point where you, you can't swim any further, we won't we won't be carried downstream in the direction we want to go anymore. We're going to be carried in the wrong direction, the direction opposite we're trying to go by the undercurrent. So just to make another point, that, that psychological break hasn't happened yet. Go ahead. I'm sorry, buddy. Yeah, well, or to put it more succinctly, um, you know, for years and years, all the bulls are like, don't fight the Fed, don't fight the Fed, don't fight the Fed. And now what's their fucking excuse for being bullish? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I guess ostensibly it's it's uh, well, the, the Fed, you know, this data, the Fed will be on our side. No, I mean, you know, look, yeah, the Fed probably won't raise rates again. But I mean, fucking core core PCE is more than 100 percent higher than the Fed's target. Right. It came in at right. 4.2 year over year. Their, their target is 2.0, you know? So, yeah, I mean, it's pretty clear to me that they're going to hold rates here for a while. until And, it, and once until this it, fucker starts to turn, if they want to do an emergency cut of 200 basis points, it's not going to mean dick. First off, it's not going to be enough, and it's not going to make its way through the system fast enough. So they could, they could cut from 5 to 0 overnight, but once this snowball starts going down the hill, it's not going to make a lick of difference. Well, this, the second thing I – the second paragraph of, of my letter essentially really after the performance stuff at the beginning is exactly that, just talking about in, in the 2000 to 2002 bear market when the S&P was down like 50 percent and the NASDAQ was down what, like 80 percent, something like that, right? Yeah. I mean yep. inflation came down hugely – in, from 2000 to 2001 to 2002, the Fed was cutting rates almost the whole time, I think starting around mid or late 2000, if I remember right. And stocks tanked because yeah. just, the same, just the same way that there's this, this, this lag uh, uh, you know, affecting stocks now from when rates went up from zero, really affecting the economy, um, you know, you're going to get the same lag the other way, right. you know? So – you know, I assume, look, look, stocks, there's a lot of psychology involved in stocks. And who knows, you know, may, maybe if the Fed did cut 200 basis points overnight, maybe people would, you know, rip into stocks. But, you know, it's, it's going to depend With where the rate liquidity, of inflation though. is. With what liquidity? Well, that's the, that's the point. Like, yeah, where where is the money going to be? That's that's a you know, really savings good point. I that just saw today on, uh, on Zero Hedge yeah. that, that, you know, personal savings is like hit a new low also. So where's the where's the dry powder going to come from? Yeah, the personal sa- – I think I talk about the personal savings stat in my letter. Yeah, that came out yesterday also. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, if people don't have jobs, they're not buying stocks, right? I right. mean, you can, you can have a burst of stock buying and a short rally, and then it runs out of gas 
the gas being the, the fresh money, capital, the brightest stocks. So, no, I agree. I mean, look, we're on the same page. And again, I, I think it's going to happen real soon because of the stuff that we're seeing about the COVID cash runs out and employers no longer feel they need to hoard labor. They're like, you know, fuck it. Business is slow. You know, not that they look at PMIs, but they are the PMI. Right. And, and, you know, a year of contraction. And I just can't afford to keep these people around anymore. And I'll just have to take my chances if business gets better about finding people. But plus, I also just saw that uh, immigration is up significantly, like not not, of course, the kind of immigration that's ruining New York. But I mean, the legal kind, people getting jobs. And, you know, that that should actually put some pressure on the job market where in, in one sense it's somewhat deflationary, but in the other sense it's, you know, uh, people not, not being able to command the kind of money that lets them spend the kind of money they've been spending. So I, I just, I just think it's imminent and I think stocks are, I think stocks are going to see it imminently and maybe they see it now, you know, before we go to Tesla, I want to know what you think about uh, the presidential race. It's kind of off topic to take it <laughs> off the market, but then go back. I want to leave Tesla as the last topic of discussion. I want to ask you, did you watch the GOP debate? What did you think? I, what do you see for I, 2024? I, I did not watch it. Um, I think what pretty much, I, I guess, 70% of Americans think, no matter what party they're in, uh, that it's a disgrace that that these two clowns are the front running candidates, you know, <laughs> but I also think, but I also think that, that Biden won't be the candidate. I think Biden will be forced uh, to step down and, um, and, and, and some other Democrat will run, but unless it's a real, you know, lightweight douchebag like Buttigieg or whatever, I, I think assuming the Republicans nominate Trump, I think Trump loses. I mean, I, Trump would lose to, to Gavin Newsom, I think. You know, I, I just don't think he has a chance to win. Really? You know, I mean, yeah. I, I, I mean, there, there, are, there are too many swing voters who just will not vote for that guy no matter what, you know. The only chance Trump might have to win would be if, if this no-labels party that is pretty well-funded, if they wind up putting a candidate in there, right? You know, you know assuming Biden were the nominee— that might be the spoiler. What do you you think Trump, Trump could beat Biden or no? No way. No way Trump could beat Biden. You know, too many people will hold their no hold their noses and vote for Biden over Trump. There's just no way. It's not going to happen. It's and it's you know somebody wrote a really good article about this the other day in the Journal um, on the op-ed page, where he said he thinks the Democrats actually will ensure that by replacing Biden with somebody you know you know, whatever, who's not offensive, you know, like like the guy from California, Newsom or, or somebody like that, who then for sure people will be like, oh, you know, I'll take him over Trump. Well, I mean, look, I, Trump, they're running out of time here. They got they got one year. So if they're going to replace and I don't necessarily think that you're wrong. And I just had Andy Sheckman on my last podcast. He said the same exact thing. He said he thinks they're going to replace Biden. I don't understand how you can run Biden again. I mean, he's Short of just glitching out like Mitch McConnell's been doing, I mean, he is toast. Biden is just toast. Not to mention all of the, you know, all of the scandals. But um, yes, well, that's that's not a not to mention. That's a huge deal. That's just going to get worse and worse. I, I I don't think there's any doubt that the guy's dirty. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, dirty in different ways. I, I mean, I I think. Look, bottom line, okay, and you know where I am politically, but. 
I think Trump is is more dangerous than Biden in that office because Trump literally tried to turn this thing into a fucking monarchy or dictatorship or whatever. You right. know, Biden Biden wouldn't dare do that. He might like to, but you know, he I he wouldn't. So, you know, um, the best we could hope for really would be like, you know, a Republican Senate, because those guys are generally more moderate and saner than the Republicans in the House, you know, right. so and they could and they could gum up the works enough to stop any damage if a if a Democrat gets elected again, you know, that well, and if they're going to run if they're going to run the judges. Newsom. If they're going to run Newsom, when when are they going to make this change? I mean, well, I don't know. This one, the, 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 the column in the journal the other day, it was pretty famous guy there. I think the guy maybe used to edit the editorial page. I forget the name, but I, I tweeted it. He, I think he said, if I read it right, that you know he thinks that it'll be after the primaries that Biden would step down, oh, really? and that you know what they used to call the smoke filled room will come up with a a different candidate. So. How you know, they, it's just. I how mean, do they let Biden run again? How do you let Joe Biden run again after everything? Well, that's, that's I I out? agree. I mean, it's 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 difficult. Look, even my my dad's longtime companion, who's a total, you know, total Democrat. You know, you know, like most. Unfortunately, it's not just Democrats. Most Republicans too. No matter what their party does is right, and no matter right. what the other party does is wrong, which of course is stupid. I mean, maybe maybe seventy five or eighty percent of what your party does is right, and twenty percent is wrong, and vice versa, right? Anyway, even she said, "Well, you know, Biden's not my first choice. I don't really like Biden." I mean, Demo it, it, there was just a poll that most Democrats don't like Biden, so <laughs> I, I don't think they have any trouble getting behind somebody else. But I mean, Trump, Trump just has no chance i mean that's assuming that trump is the nominee listen i mean i've read some really some really interesting stuff lately and again i'm not one of these political pundit types but that that actually um trump's support you know could be in danger you know maybe by um what's her name um uh you know the woman who was nikki haley supposedly did well in the debate and you know may be able to climb up there pretty quickly or, you know, maybe DeSantis comes back or whatever. I mean, you know, it's what you have to emphasize to Republicans is, listen, this guy's going to lose. I mean, however you feel about him, if you're even if you're even if you're dumb enough to think, oh, he's draining the swamp. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know I don't I, think I don't think he necessarily would lose I, I, if he runs against Biden. I don't think that's I don't think that's a uh, game set match that he loses. Well, well, look. You know, he lost for sure in the last election. So the question is, you know, it, since then, has has Trump's, you know, public perception improved uh, more than Biden's has been degraded? Right. You know, and <laughs> right. I mean, that's what it's it comes true. down to. You know? Right. I mean, so I, I, I don't think he's look. I, I mean, the polls, of course, have always been wrong about Trump. You know, they, they measure it wrongly or whatever. But. True. I, I just I mean, he's just been such an animal. I just I don't think so. Uh, who knows? Look, I'm not placing any bets on this thing. So. All right. Let's talk about something I, you are placing a bet on, and that's Tesla. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm assuming you uh, you've now gone long. You see the uh, the green fields here ahead. And oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. An opportunity when, when, like. Yeah. What Electric Fred today said uh, that full self-driving. <laughs> Almost killed him twice in like one drive. Yeah, I said, "Oh, this is this is the technology of the future right here." 
<laughs> might be worth it actually if it killed Electric Fred. No, um, no. All joking aside, well, what you, Mark, um, what do you say, man? I mean, what do you say? Stock stocks at two forty today. You see all these things working in the background. You got the regulators looking at full self driving. You know, you have margins compressing. You have price cuts. You have you know, so you know there's going to be pressure on the financials, but the stock just holds up. And all, yay, it's another year, another week, another quarter that Mark Spiegel is wrong, according <laughs> to the stock well, price. Well, you know, for, first of all, you don't have the Fed just looking at full self-driving. You have the Fed's looking at Musk embezzling money from the company, right? Yeah, but they're not going to do anything about that. And, and what's that? They're not going to do it. I've read that fucking story. They're not going to do anything about that. If they didn't get him on the goddamn Solar City. Roof tiled. Then nobody's going to care if he moves a million well, that dollars was a, into his checking that account. Was a, well, that was a civil situation. I don't know. Maybe, but they're also looking at the the fake mileage. And, and then it wasn't in that story, but I can't imagine they wouldn't be looking at the massive safety cover-up that Handelsblatt revealed in May, where apparently there were thousands of sudden acceleration and autopilot incidents yeah. that Tesla has not informed the NHTSA about and <clears throat> there's a, one of the guys on Twitter although I think he's now only on um, on threads uh, Eric something I forget his last name or his handle but he's like an he's like an expert in environmental regulation or something and you know he said that he said those are like criminal offenses to not inform the NHTSA about safety in incidences of your products so there's a lot there but look I mean you know in fairness to me Tesla is down. <laughs> no, no, it's down like what, like forty percent from its all-time high, where the Nasdaq is. That's right. What, you know, so I mean, it, to me, there's a long-term trend here, which is pretty clear. And yeah, I mean, the bottom line is, you know, whether Musk gets jailed or 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 not, you've got a a company here with a incredibly rapidly deteriorating underlying business, and and you know, in the voting machine weighing machine machine thing that's that's really what matters i mean the price cutting the the margins were less than stellantis which by the way we happen to be long stellantis uh last quarter i mean their, their margins are now the 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 operating margins the, the or, or, or the yeah are now like basically right average for the industry and that's assuming that tesla's books are honest and i don't believe they're honest do i have proof of that other than you know the kind of forensic accounting stuff like hey doesn't seem to me that depreciating their factories enough or whatever, but no, but you know, the CFO just quit, you know, I mean, he quit for some reason. Right. And if, if, if it was just because, Oh, he wanted to enjoy his money and it was really hard working for Elon. Well, you don't, in that case, you don't leave on no notice. You say, Elon, right. I, I need a break. You know, I'm leaving in three months. I'll whatever. I mean, that was just overnight. Right. So, you know, and the way he phrased it in his LinkedIn, he said something like, Tesla reported today that I resigned. He didn't say I resigned. He said Tesla reported. So it it smells like there was contention. It well, it smells like Musk fired him, right? And what did he refuse to do that made Musk fire him? You know, or maybe listen. It look maybe. I mean, to be fair, maybe he got one too many three a.m. calls from right. Musk, and and he said, "Hold on, it's three a.m. Leave me the fuck alone. Let's talk in the morning." And 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 Musk, who's an impetuous, you know, asshole, might have just said, "That's it, you're fired." You know, whatever. So who knows? You know, I, I don't feel sorry for this guy Zach, who, according to Bloomberg, walked away with like five hundred ninety million dollars worth of insane, stock right? And options. But 
you know what? You know, let's see if he gets to enjoy that. By the way, the one thing in that article, that leaked article, actually, it was the follow-up Bloomberg article when they followed up after the journal printed the article the other day. It said Tesla, I'm sorry, it said the Southern District of New York has subpoenaed like multiple current and former Tesla employees, and they're expected to testify in September. Now, I don't know what that means. For does what? that mean like, well, does that mean there's a grand jury? That, I, I that's mean, what it would say. That's, that's well, yeah. I mean, don't forget. Remember that. Uh, what's his name? Aaron Greenspan, before he got banned from Twitter, um, did that. Um, what is that called? An FOA? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. To, yeah. To find out something, I don't know, with the DOJ, and they, and he and somebody screwed up and said like, you know, we can't provide any information where there's an active grand jury process going on and oh, it was really? about Musk. i don't remember, remember that. that no I oh don't. yeah this was a few months ago on twitter people were like whoa holy shit and then it kind of died down but now there's this so and, and you know the other thing i'll say the southern district of new york um the, the prosecutor there that is like the most prestigious you know showboaty uh prosecutorial position in the whole DOJ other right. than maybe the attorney general, right? I mean, that's where Ju- that's what Giuliani used to to take down the mob and take down Milken. I, th- I think that's what, what's his name was, our disgraced former governor, what he used to take down, um, you know, Blodgett and the whole Wall Street stuff. So those guys, those guys don't work on and they certainly don't leak to the press like piddly assed, you know, insignificant cases right. like they like they like headline grabbing cases so my guess is that they are working on something a lot bigger than than must potentially you know embezzling whatever 12 million dollars i don't know what the number is worth of glass for his house right, right? and by the way you know <clears throat> the guy's been the head of that company and probably running as personal as his personal piggy bank since whenever 2008 whatever well, i don't know whatever he took over seven six five whatever I, I mean i mean if let's say he did do this with the glass and it sure smells you know based on on what's out there I, I mean does anybody seriously think this is the first time he felt entitled like oh i don't draw a salary and i give my life to this place i mean never mind that he paid himself whatever 200 billion in stock and options. But does anybody think like this would be the first and only time he he would have taken from the company for his own personal use? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he did it a lot. I don't know. I don't have any evidence of that. But but the Southern District is going to find out. And by the way, I spoke to somebody else who's who was not involved, but his company had gone through one of these Southern District things. It was a pretty known case. Um, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, he said when they start digging, he said, you know, they have their initial premise, but then they dig and dig and dig and dig and just come up with more and more and more stuff. Right. So, you know, I mean, you know, if, if those guys are talking to multiple current and former Tesla employees, you know, or, or subpoenaing, they're going to ask a lot of questions and, and they're going to pull on a lot of threads and there could be a lot of stuff that unravels here and again just to emphasize this is all completely separate from the fact that the underlying business is falling apart you know (laughs) that 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 they've that they've essentially well for sure they they 
saturated demand at last year's prices, right? And then to grow, they had to slash prices, and then they saturated demand at the new lower prices, and then they saturated demand at the next new lower prices. And actually, right? I mean, they've been cutting, 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 cutting. They introduced this new Model 3 in China, which, you know, has a couple of minor advantages over the previous one. But what nobody's talking about is what they cut out. I think they also it, they also probably cut some stuff out of it to save money. But anyway, they introduced it, you know, uh, you know, whatever, several thousand dollars more expensive than the last one, which I guess the market was disappointed in. But that's probably just as some people said on Twitter, just to just as an incentive to get rid of the old Model 3 inventory. Once that's gone, they'll have to slash the price on this thing, too. I, I'm absolutely convinced that that the way that the way they're priced in China now, they're probably making like zero net margin in China. Right. That like all of their growth there, whatever they do each quarter, maybe they sell another 20,000 cars in China, whatever numbers. I think it's absolutely profitless growth. I think I think they've got just zero net margins in China. Now, they're still priced higher in Europe. So the stuff they ship to Europe from China, that counts as China. So I guess on the books they can show some profit you right. know because of the european sales but I, I i think china is now you mean the, the, the exports domestic, right the exports from the Shanghai? exports yeah. yeah yeah so i think the domestic chinese market for them is is almost certainly profitless at this point and you know in europe there's no growth for them anymore in europe the last three quarters in a row they were flat actually maybe declined by a thousand or two thousand you know some nominal amount and this this quarter also looks like uh, another, you know, slight decline in Europe. So, and the U.S., they seem to have, and of course, uh, by the way, of course, in the European plant, <clears throat> we know, the story broke last week, that that um, they, they actually laid people off and they're making 4,000 cars a week there when they had once bragged about, you know, having made 5,000 cars right. a week there. So, you know, you add all this up and it, it's just, it's a, it's a non-growing car company slashing prices and margins, and it's like any other car company, except any other car company is selling at three to eight times earnings, other than Porsche or Ferrari, which have margins that blow Tesla out of the water. Yeah, it's funny right? that you're buying Volkswagen at three times earnings with uh, you know, basically this Porsche as a call option, <laughs> and Tesla's well, at 40 times earnings you know, it's, with, it's, with it, margins it, being compressed. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, and, and by the way, it's not for Tesla Gap. Tesla will probably earn, my guess, maybe three dollars this year, right? So it's more like it's more like uh, um, you know over eighty times earnings right, right now. So it's absurd. It's 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 completely absurd. I mean, literally, Tesla, I, I believe, will will be down roughly ninety percent from where it is now. You know, twenty five dollars a share from 250 all right so now oh. tonight it's 245 it's a wrap but... it needs the equity to survive so if that happens it's uh it's a it's a huge problem so no well, uh, it, go ahead yeah no i mean you know look they they allegedly have a pretty good amount of cash and if as they're slowing they're going to slow their expansion i mean they don't you know they keep musk is like oh yeah we're thinking about a gigafactory here and a gigafactory it's bullshit they don't need any more fucking factories i mean they're grotesquely underutilizing the, the german factory that they have right yeah. so um so i'm not saying that i mean he he managed to he managed to lie and securities fraud his way through some massive capital raises to the point where bankruptcy is 
most likely off the table for that company. Um, you know, unless the full self-driving liability comes back and bites them on the ass and becomes, you know, a multi-billion dollar refund they have to put out, you know, then it's possible. You never know. You know, it's ironic, by the way, that, you know, people don't remember this, but back when the, you know, what we used to call the TSLAQ crowd, which I don't do anymore because Q meant bankruptcy, and I think that's off the table. But back then, we were like, this company is fucking going bankrupt. And it's going to happen soon. And everyone made fun of that crowd, made fun of us, and Musk made fun of us. Remember with the April Fool's joke and all that? Yeah. And then later, he said, we were a month away from bankruptcy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he literally said that in an interview. That was crazy. So, yeah, so, you know, whatever. I mean, again, to me, I you know, on the one hand, Musk is what keeps this company, uh, you know, at two fifty a share and not twenty five dollars a share. But on the other hand, eventually Musk is going to be sort of what very quickly brings this company down to, you know, to to twenty five or thirty or thirty five dollars a share. I mean, you know, he's he's the ace in the hole for the in the short term. He's the ace in the hole for the for the longs, and in the long run, he's the ace in the hole for the shorts. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it, man. That's a good way to put it. All right, Mark. I think I want to leave it right there. I appreciate you coming on, man. It was great to talk to you again. Thanks for making time for me on short notice. And uh, let's do uh, not, you know, let's not make it a year and three months <laughs> till the next time we talk. And of course, should something break your way in the world of Tesla, I will rush to have you back on so that you can, uh, so that you can gloat. And otherwise, I will. Uh, I'll I'll just humiliate you uh, on my own. I want to do my own podcast. <laughs> How's that for a deal? Thank you. Thank you. By the way, I meant to tell you. By the way, how is your um? You did jujitsu, right? Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah, I started doing. I've only had like ten lessons, but I've started doing Krav Maga, which I oh, totally okay. dig. Cool. I love it. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. It's Israeli street fighting. It's it's not the it's not it's not cricket the way jujitsu is. It's just like you know. Um, you know, move in and punch the guy until he goes down. Yeah, Krav Maga <laughs> is basically like kill the guy as soon as possible. That's, you know. The, and get the, away. The, yeah. yeah, the general gist of things. Yep. Yeah, but, not uh, kill him, but, you know, put him out of commission. Yeah. So, um, all right, good. Well, this was a lot of fun. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and, we'll uh, meet up time. and fight I'm one ready. day, me and you. We'll be like, we'll be like Musk and uh, Zuckerberg. You know? And Zuckerberg. <laughs> we'll run out the fucking Coliseum and, uh, you know, drink, drink a mean, couple I'm, beers and come out swinging. Yeah, I'm gonna drive over to your house and uh, and bang on the door until you come out and fight me, like you know, like <laughs> Musk is gonna do. All right, good he, yo, to he, you. And nice. by the way, he yeah. would get his ass kicked too, Musk. Oh, I, I watched no training videos of Zuckerberg. He has legit jujitsu. I mean, I I don't think he's been training that long, but I was watching him uh, like in an MMA session, just you know, doing a little kickboxing and then shooting on guys and like, hey, he he moves like he trains. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't look like a neophyte. So he, yeah. would, he would fuck Musk up. Well, you have to figure if he puts his mind to it, which he clearly has, he can certainly afford, you know, the best trainers that ever existed to get him into shape for it. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't that, fight that, that guy either. That doesn't mean shit, though. You know, like you, you could be you could be you could have the world's fucking best trainers. If you don't if you don't get on the mats every day and you don't put the work in. It, it it doesn't right. matter, you know? Yeah. No, I realize that. I mean, even doing this lesson once a week is like, 
you know, I, I'm not, I'm not really sharp. I don't have any talent anyway. But if I, even if I had talent, yeah, you got to do it. You should go like, into really Henzo's often. place. I mean, look, you're in, you're in Manhattan. You should go into Henzo's place in the Upper West Side. He just opened a new gym. Actually, I think he just opened a third one. I don't know where his third one is, but the, the you got the Blue Basement in Midtown. Then you got the uh, his gym on the Upper West Side. And then he just, I think he opened a third one, maybe in Brooklyn. I want to say, I, I don't well, know. What it, the Krav Maga place I go is actually on the Upper West Side. Who's the guy you're talking about? What is he? Is he a jiu-jitsu guy? Yeah, well, Henzo Gracie. Yeah, he's a legendary fighter, legendary MMA. Oh, fighter. I, I don't know. No, but you know what the what what the Krav guys say about jiu-jitsu is, you know, the thing about Krav is you want to avoid getting in a position where you have to fight somebody on the ground. Right. You know. Um, so I guess that's a difference between the two. So yep. um, all, all the different martial arts have different ways to manage the distance, you know, with, with yes. jujitsu, you don't want to be standing where you would be standing with Krav Maga because you're going to, you're liable to get punched in the face and knocked out. And you know, it doesn't matter how great you are at jujitsu. If somebody fucking hits you in the right place in the face, you're going down. And so they, they always say like your first jujitsu lesson, they always tell you manage the distance. You either want to be really, really, really close and grappling where you're in control or you want to be far enough that the person can't touch it. And Krav stands in that space between those two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I did learn a cool technique in Krav about if you are on the ground, how to uh, rotate around and hold somebody off, you know, with your kicks and with your foot so they can't, you know, get in and pound you. And actually a, a, a technique of, kicking them in the nuts and then as they naturally bend over like they bend their face over to to protect their nuts put two feet right in their chin from so it is there is a lot of fun stuff that you learn in this thing but hey man, anyway kicking yeah. kick the nuts is the oldest trick in the book man that's not crowd maga or nothing you know i've been doing that since the fucking 1600s you know well <laughs> find find the testicles and punt them as hard as you can yeah, but from the ground, it's kind of, you know, it's a little novel. But anyway, I don't know. It's fun. I enjoy it anyway. So it's good. Yeah. All right, brother. We'll stay in touch. Thanks. All right, my man. Thanks for coming Talk to on. you later. Take All care. All right. The okay. one, the only, Bye-bye. Mark Spiegel, Stanfield Capital, high-quality human being, puts up on my bullshit. And that's why we love him. All right, folks, I got a lot of podcasts coming up, more so than I have over the last uh, little while. I have some, I think George Gavin will probably be next. But uh, hang in there. Have a great Labor Day weekend. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed, check out the blog, Fringe Finance, and the sponsors. They are all in my podcast description. All right, fools. Time for a beer and a burger. I'm out of here. Peace.